0: The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit slash connect. Our teaching text this morning comes from Luke 6 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. good morning, how are we this morning? That's so great. Uh, turn in your Bibles to two places. Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to start, and then eventually we're going to get to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So Luke chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you brought your Lent guide, which I'm trusting after pushing it so heavily over the past few weeks, we're on pages 14 and 15. So if you want to just follow along in there, this is a place for you to have the scriptures as well as a place for you to write your teaching notes. 14 and 15 in there. If you don't have one of these, grab it in the lobby. Luke chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if we can just take a minute before we get started, let's, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us. And before we pray, let's just take a moment for silence. I don't know if, if you're where I am this morning, I just, I feel very distracted. And so let's just take a moment to breathe, to close our eyes, to be present to this moment. Present to God, present to ourselves, to one another. If it's helpful, some of those worries about what's coming this week or today, just offer those up to the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. God we want more of you so we're going to your word your revelation of yourself we're asking that you would do what only you can do what you've done for generations take your word put it into our hearts by the power of your spirit such that we are changed we don't want to waste it Lord make us good soil we need you we love you for all these things, in Christ's powerful, holy name, and all God's people said. Amen. Well, I'm excited to get to kick off our Lent sermon series today on the spiritual practice of mission or as you may have heard it referred to evangelism or sharing the gospel. Now just a fair warning as we jump in today it's going to take me a ton of time to circle back on the idea of mission. I promise if you hang with me that by the end I will tie the bow and make everything make sense but it's going to take us a long time to actually address the topic of mission. I want to spend the majority of our time today thinking about not mission, but rather a sort of reset on what we call spiritual formation. How are we formed into the types of people God made us to be? When you become a Christian, and I hope you know this, you are not just signing up for a change of destination after you die. Like when you say yes to Jesus, it is so much more than just let me pray this prayer, say these things, believe these things so I can go to heaven and not to hell. Rather, when you say yes to Jesus, you are signing up for a lifelong process of being shaped or being formed into his likeness, becoming more and more like him over the long haul of our lives. That's what it means to become and to be a Christian. Or, better yet, to use the way more predominant language of the New Testament, that's what it means to be a disciple, an apprentice, a follower of Jesus, and that's what we've been focusing on as a church each year during the season of Lent. How does that process of formation actually happen? Like, how do we actually become more and more like Jesus and live his life in the world? Or even more simply, let me just ask it this way, how do we actually change? Let me just think about that for a minute. How do we actually change? Which I think is a question that all of us are asking on some level whether we are followers of Jesus or not. We all want to change, right? We all have ways that we want to be different in the future than we are today. I find it so fascinating that for all of our cultures talk on just be you and be true to yourself, there's this whole other side of us that doesn't really want to be ourselves at all. We want to be a better version of us, a healthier version of us, a more mature version of us, a newer, changed version of us, and yet for all of our desire to change, here's the unfortunate reality. Most of us are not actually all that good at it right? I mean, how many of us are willing to say every goal I set at the beginning of the year, I complete in every way I desired to complete it before December 31st hits? Everything I set out to change about me, I just completely do perfectly exactly how I set out to change it. Maybe there's a few of us. If that's you, let's chat afterward. I really could use your help. But for most of us, we're incredibly not skilled at changing. And that's so often true in our spiritual lives, as well, many of us don't feel like we're actually changing to become all that much more like Jesus. Like maybe in our best moments, we're able to see some growth and some ways we're more like Him tomorrow than we were today, but there's still a very real part of us that looks at our worst moments or our biggest failures or our most significant struggles and feels like it's a one step forward, two step back. We find ourselves constantly thinking or saying, yep, still this, still struggling with this, still fighting this still trying to beat this, still trying to get over this, still bad at this. When everything hits the fan and life exposes the deepest, darkest parts of us, sometimes we're very underwhelmed and discouraged at what comes out. So it'd be fitting for us to ask, how do we actually change? Like, how do we, slowly over time, actually become more and more like Jesus? And that's the question I want to wrestle with today. And to do that, we're going to look at these two passages. Luke chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll start in Luke 6. Hopefully you're there by now. This comes at the end of a larger teaching of Jesus. We have pieces of it in Matthew 5 through 7, pieces of it here in Luke 6 and 7, what's typically referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. One has a house with a good foundation, sturdy and stable no matter what comes, and the other who has a house with no foundation. And when the flood comes, it washes away, it's knocked over. And he uses this illustration to show two different responses to his teachings. So one man, he says, hears the teachings and was ultimately changed by his teachings into a different type of person, steady and sure-footed and secure in all of the storms of life while the other one simply hears it and he remains unable to be changed, unable to face what comes his way. And Jesus says this is what distinguishes the changed person from the unchanged person. He sums it up in one word. That word is practice. Jesus says the house that made it through the storm was the one who heard the words. They both heard them. The difference is the one put them into practice. He does what Jesus says. Hold that thought. Turn over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me show you what Paul says about how we change. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, together, collectively, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. For this, this transformation comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Paul here is talking about how we change. And he uses the language of transform. It's the same word where we get our English word metamorphosis, to become something new. And he says, We change, all of us together, are undergoing spiritual formation when we, with unveiled faces, look at Jesus, behold Jesus, be with Jesus. And then we are formed more and more to become like him, more and more into his glory. And in case we missed it the first time, he reiterates, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So how do we change? How do we, over time, become more like Jesus? Let me try to synthesize Luke chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you're a visual person, a note taker, you're going to love today. If you're not, just sit back, close your eyes, and listen. It'll be great. This is my best explanation for how the scriptures teach we actually change to become more like Jesus over the long haul. Let me show you this. This is our kind of best working synopsis of what the scriptures actually say. We're going to break this down, but this is what we would call the intentional spiritual formation triangle. This is how the Holy Spirit changes us. Let's just talk about it one at a time. First, at the top of the triangle there, you'll see the idea of truth. You can also call this teaching Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 that the man hears his teachings. This is in the middle of a larger sermon from Jesus on life in the kingdom of God. And so he's saying, everything I just said, the one who has changed to be this solid, firm person in the storms of life, is the one first who hears my teachings, who listens to Jesus about truth and about reality and about life first step in becoming more like Jesus and being changed into his image is just simply learning and believing what is true. Believing God's reality about the world, about him, about us, because what we believe matters greatly to who we become. We are story-formed creatures. Author, professor, screenwriter, Bobette Buster, calls humans, quote, narrative animals. And what she means by that is that we are driven and shaped by stories at the deepest parts of who we are. Our central nervous system is wired by God to search for meaning, to make uh, what scientists call mental maps of reality, frameworks by which we interpret, understand, and then make sense of and live into our lives. In other words, our conscious and subconscious beliefs dictate just about everything about us. This is how one pastor, Pete Hughes from London, says it. He says, the story you live in is the story you live out. What you believe to be true about God, about the world, about you, about everything you do. What you believe to be true changes you and then dictates the actual story you live into. Let me just give you an example of this. Money. If you believe, if your truth, if your reality of what you think is real is the popular American story, that more money equals more happiness. The good life equals accomplishment and accumulation. It will form you. It will set you up, it will change you into being a certain kind of person, driven and busy and hurried and a workaholic and envious and discontent and distracted from God and never satisfied. But if you believe Jesus' story about money, his reality about money, that all good things are God's gifts to steward and he takes care of his people and that actually, according to Jesus, more money equals harder to enter into the kingdom of God, that will also shape you into a particular kind of person, into a person of contentment and simplicity and generosity, and hospitality. So we're changed first by the truth we come to believe. But that's not the only thing that changes us. We're also changed by practice. Maybe better language, habits. Jesus says one man is not changed because he only hears. Both men hear the teachings. Only one actually puts them into his life. In other words, we become more like Jesus through what we do. Christian philosopher James K. Smith wrote a fantastic book about this idea. It's called You Are What You Love. I would highly recommend that book to you. You Are What You Love, James K. Smith. In the book, he famously describes this sort of transformation through practice with this memorable little sentence. He says, quote, The things you do do things to you. The things you do do things to you. And then he continues, Quite simply, there is no formation without repetition. There is no habituation without being immersed in a practice over and over again. There's a direct connection, according to Jesus, in other words, between repetition and formation. We become the things we do. The way that we live our lives, our practices and habits, the things we do over and over and over again shape who we become. Case in point, let me give you an example. Coffee drinkers. Right? Anybody else in the room drink their coffee the right way? Black with no cream and sugar. Confident. Let's be confident. Yeah, awesome. Now, keep your hand up. No, for real, keep your hand up. If you started drinking coffee the very first time you drank it as a black coffee drinker. There's a few of you. I'm kind of worried. I'm sorry. <laughs> most of us, you can put your hands down, most of us normal people in the room don't start as people who drink coffee black, right? How do we start? We start like I did as a junior in high school, right? A few days a week after school, I would stop at Starbucks and I'd get a mocha frappuccino. Did that for a few months, and then I'm like, let's curtail it back a little bit, and I'm going to get a coffee frappuccino. You do that for a few months, and then you're like, all right, let's try the hot coffee with a few cream and sugars. And you slowly, over time, do less and less cream and sugar until you actually start drinking it black. And that's what happened to me. I did this whole process of a little bit at a time until eventually, now today, I would describe myself as a coffee drinker. As someone who actually likes to drink coffee, who likes to explore different types of coffee, try different types of coffee, I am now a person who drinks coffee. How? Through my habits. Through my practices. And this is just true with all of life. I mean, apply it to wherever you want to be. Every time people are like, I'm not a morning person. And then I'm like, try it for two weeks. And you try it for two weeks and you're like, I like the morning. <laughs> right? It happens to you. It changes you. We are changed by our practices. We're changed by our... Habits They turn us into particular kinds of people. Another way to think about it is we're not just people who do things. We're people who do things who then change who we we are such that we do those things more. We dictate our practices, and then our practices dictate us. That's the second thing. The third part of how we change is through community. We become like who we spend time with. This is the fact of life. We become like who we spend the majority of our time with. With. I know we all like to think we're unique individuals with unique style and unique interests, but let's just face it, we become like who we spend the majority of our time with. And in case you don't believe me, go ahead and take another sip out of your Stanley. <laughs> or your Walla, right, if you're like, whatever those are called. Right, This is what happens to us. There's a reason why influencers are called influencers. Because they are able, with people looking at them and spending time even digitally through a medium with them, they are able to influence the things they buy, the things they like, and the things they do. We are shaped. We become like who we spend our time with. We eventually tend to dress like and think like and act like and vote like our friends or our roommates or our coworkers or our family. I'm actually reading this really fascinating book right now uh, called Relational Spirituality by Dr. Todd Hall. And he talks about these recent studies that uh, this one scientist did, which is my kind of study, where he basically was fascinated by why do married people who are married for a long time end up sort of looking like each other? You know what I mean? Like if you've like talked to someone who's been married for 40 years, you're like, you guys kind of look the same. And he was fascinated by this, and what he found is that actually on a like, neurological brain level, if it's a person that you spend the majority of your life looking at, you actually start subconsciously patterning your facial expressions and the way you respond to stuff after that person that you spend a lot of time beholding. Who you spend time with dramatically affects who you are. This is true in a spiritual sense as well. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, we all together are being formed. This is the beauty of community. It's a good thing. And then all of that, truth and practice and community, all of that happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is very clear on that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we do the beholding, and the Holy Spirit does the transforming. And that's the whole purpose of spiritual practices. Things like scripture reading, and prayer, and fasting, and Sabbath, and mission, hospitality. These are not ends in and of themselves. They are means by which we behold Jesus such that the Holy Spirit would transform us to become like him. That's the goal of these things. There's an active work and a passive work. We do not form ourselves. We do not become ourselves more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit forms us. So, here's Best shot at what we have. Truth, practice, community, all empowered by the Holy Spirit. We tracking so far? Everybody good? Is this what you knew we were getting into today? Love it. Dan did. He's on our teaching team. Now, it's worth pausing here to note that this is very different from how a lot of American Christians think about spiritual change or spiritual formation. We tend to, this is myself included, isolate and elevate one of these over the other. We tend to, based on our church tradition, our upbringing, what we kind of, is appealing to us based on our personality, or interests. There's a whole host of different reasons. We tend to say one of these functionally is more important than the others. And that leads us, if we isolate one of them, into what I call losing strategies for change. And this is worth spending a little bit of time on because I want to help you see how you might be cutting yourself off from the work of the Holy Spirit if you just isolate one of these over the others. Here's the losing strategies. Number one, First losing strategy for change is more Bible study. Stay with me, all right? Truth is one part of the change triangle. And unfortunately, in many Christian circles, it becomes the sole and only way people believe we change. If we're not like Jesus, it's just because we don't know enough yet and we need more Bible study. Now hear me on this. I love the scriptures. Like, studying and teaching this is 80%, if not more, of my job. Like, I I love this book. I love studying it and teaching it. I wholeheartedly reject the sentiment that theology is too hard or the Bible is too confusing. You, you, all of us with the Holy Spirit in us can know God's word and know God through his word. But I also wholeheartedly reject the sentiment that our lack of formation into the image of Jesus is solely a lack of knowledge issue. Because here's what I'm convinced of, you cannot think your way into Christlikeness. Or let me put it even this way, information alone will not produce lasting transformation. Let me just prove this to you. Anyone in here, don't raise your hand, anyone in here struggle with anxiety or fear? Worry, totally going over and over in your mind, what's gonna happen in the future? A lot of us, right? I'm guessing that you, like me, know that Jesus commands you not to, to fear, right? And I'm guessing that you probably know he says he offers peace that passes understanding if you would cast your cares on him. And I'm also guessing that you, like me, don't also want to struggle with worry and anxiety. Like, no one signs up for, like, yes, give me some of that worry. But how's all that working for you? We can't just think our way to Christ likeness can't study our way to Christ's likeness Knowledge is good. Bible studies are good. Faithful sermons are good. I would even say better than good, essential for you to know God and know his word. And yet by itself, knowledge has a very poor track record of yielding a high and sustainable amount of formation into the image of Jesus. That's number one. Losing strategy number two is Willpower. Willpower. When you overemphasize practice, you can fall off the ledge of sheer force and effort, that we change by more sweat, no pain, no gain. Now, just like with teaching and truth, the problem with willpower isn't that it's bad. It's not. It's actually very good. It just doesn't work all that well by itself. There is a reason why, by February 1st, 80% of New Year's resolutions have failed. Because willpower is a finite resource. We run out of willpower by breakfast, right? Like, it can be helpful for a a few small changes here and there, but the sheer power of life and the gravity of your habits and the deforming realities of the world, the flesh, and the devil will eventually eat your willpower for lunch. Your willpower is not enough to stand up against the competing forces of formation in your life. And if you think it is, here's what you're going to run into. You're going to get caught in what I like to call the willpower cycle. This is what happens if you rely on willpower alone alone for your spiritual formation. You're gonna start with inspiration. You hear a great sermon, you listen to a great podcast, a great coffee with a friend, you read something in the scriptures and you're like, let's get it. New year, new me, I'm gonna read the Bible in a year, let's go, and then you put in the effort, right? I got the journal, I got the Bible reading plan, I'm carving out the time, I made a rule of life, I'm really good now, let's do it. And then what happens, you run into difficulty, because it's life. Right? So it's the kid didn't sleep well that night, or you had an early, lunch meet, or early breakfast meeting, or you're sick. Like, life happens, and you run into some kind of difficulty in your pursuit of willpower leading into spiritual formation, and then that leaves you with guilt. Oh, man, I really thought this series was going to be different. I really thought this was the time I was going to get through Leviticus. I really thought this was the time I was going to have a, a consistent habit of prayer, whatever the case may be. And then you run into disillusionment. Right, well maybe I'm just not the kind of person who will ever do this. Maybe I don't love Jesus like I thought. Maybe this whole thing just isn't for me and then you are stuck in that pattern of disillusionment until hopefully, Lord willing, you get that next bout of inspiration. Is this anybody else's life but mine? So we are stuck in this willpower cycle thinking the whole key is to just get more willpower and try to do the whole thing on our own. Again, willpower is great Effort is great. It's a key to spiritual formation. You have to work. If you want to follow Jesus over the long haul, it's going to take some grittiness. It's just not enough. That's two. Everybody still good? Sweet. Losing strategy number three, osmosis. Losing strategy number three is osmosis. Osmosis is when we isolate and elevate an overemphasis on community and community alone as what changes us. Which means I myself am not actually trying to follow Jesus, be his disciple, be formed into the likeness of Christ, but I'm in a community that is trying to follow Jesus, and so I'm all good, right? Like, I'm not actually healthy, but I'm part of something that is healthy, and so I feel healthy. Or I'm not actually growing, but my community is growing, so I feel like I'm growing, In case you need help identifying this, an over-reliance on community or change by osmosis can look like the only time you think about the Bible is on Sunday morning or at community group. Or the only time you pray is when someone else prays and you happen to be in the room. The problem with change by osmosis is a little bit like watching fitness influencers on YouTube for three hours a day for six months and then wondering why you don't have muscles. Or it's like watching HGTV cooking shows but never stepping foot into the kitchen and thinking you're a good chef and you know what to do with food. A group of people seeking to follow Jesus together is essential for spiritual formation, but it cannot be the only way we think we change. If it is, then what happens when you're taken out of that community for a season? We see this all the time with folks who will move and they'll go out of our church family, out of our church community, and they'll get somewhere new and they will just completely deflate spiritually with the Lord because they were so wrapped up in their Christian life, not being them following Jesus together with others, but other following Jesus and them being close by. What happens if we only change through community when that community lets us down or doesn't live up to expectations or we no longer feel fed or it's unhelpful or whatever the case may be? Or how, if we only change because the community is changing, how will we contribute to what 1 Corinthians says, the whole church, me included, building itself up together in love if I'm just the one being pulled along all the time? That's losing strategy number three. One more. This is my personal one that I think we got to, make sure to, to to talk about the most losing strategy number 4 is what I would call the zap the zap anybody remember the matrix that movie oh yeah please okay sweet um 1999 i think Woo, that's a long time ago um the matrix if you're not familiar robots take over the world uh Artificial intelligence, just be ready for that. And they take over the world, and they basically reinvent what's called the Matrix, which is a fictional uh, computer program that they plug humans into, and humans all think they're real when really they're asleep in pods in the real world. It's very confusing, but it's, it's a good movie. You should watch it. Um, maybe. I don't Content. Be careful. I don't know. Um, so the Matrix, what happens, there's this scene where the two main characters, Neo and Trinity, are being chased by Agent Smith, who's the bad guy representing the Matrix in the movie. And they get to the top of this roof, this giant building, and they can't go backwards down the stairs because Mr. Smith is there. And so, but their only way out is a helicopter that's there on the top of the roof. And uh, Neo asks Trinity, can you fly that thing? And Trinity says, not yet. She calls on her cell phone, uh, the guy who's back, the operator back in the outside of the Matrix, and she's like, Hank, or Tank, I think his name's Tank. Tank, I need a program of how to fly a B-212 helicopter. And he's like on it. And you see her eyes flutter. And now she's like, I can fly it now. And they get in the helicopter and they fly away, right? And that is how so many of us think about spiritual formation. Let me explain. What we think is, I'm going to step into this church gathering. I'm going to go on this retreat. I'm going to have this time with the Lord. I'm going to pray really hard, desire it really hard. And boom, zap, I should be changed and fixed forever. That's what I call the losing strategy of the zap. At best, it's an emphasis on the Holy Spirit, And his ability to do what he will occasionally do in your life, which is change you in dramatic moments of change. Those should be part of your life with God, where you're like, I'm just kind of struggling, and then boom. Like, high levels of sanctification in a moment. Those should be a part of your life with God. So at best, it's a reliance on that. At worst, it's an attempt to bypass the real way the Spirit changes us most often, which is through the struggles and suffering of life, to then form us into the image of Jesus. And it's actually, and here's why I think it's such a big deal for us, it's actually a spiritual byproduct of the greater desire we have for our lives, which is to get there as fast as possible, be that as fast as possible, and as pain-free and struggle-free as possible. So all of our life we want now, why would we not also want the same to be true for our spiritual life? Lord, if I just pray about it, change me. And so what happens is we sit back in our time with the Lord, we sit back in our community, and we say, but I've been praying. And hear me on this, prayer is great. (laughs) We know that. Prayer is wonderful and fantastic. And that can sometimes be used as an excuse to not actually do any of the participating the scriptures call us to do. So I'm just waiting for the Lord to change me. I'm just kind of sitting here waiting. He hasn't shown up yet. Why isn't he fixing me? And yet we got to look at what the scriptures tell us we actually change. We behold. And then the Spirit transforms. So, losing strategies of how we change. We've got more Bible study, willpower, osmosis, the zap. Here's how we actually change just by way of reminder, right? Truth, practice, community, all empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that have to do with mission? With demonstrating and proclaiming the gospel to those who don't yet know Jesus? What does this have to do with mission? Well, here, let me Kind of land the plane for us. I've been around the church world long enough to know mission does not come easily for us as Christians. Like for a whole host of reasons we're going to explore together over the next six weeks. Mission is difficult. Demonstrating and proclaiming the gospel to our non Christian neighbors and friends and coworkers and family is not easy. And I know that's true generically, but I also know that's true specifically. So last year's member checkups, which is our annual church-wide survey, a little over 70% of our church family said that they are not actively sharing the gospel with non-Christians or inviting people to be around and experience the gospel through church family. A little over 70%. And I don't say that in any way to bring you shame or to bring you guilt. I just say that to help us acknowledge it's hard for all of us. Including myself. It is difficult to want to engage in the mission of God. But here's the reality we will never step into this command of Jesus go and make disciples, proclaim the gospel to all nations. We will never step into this command and calling, nor will we ever get close to being formed into the type of people where mission is an embodied way of living that just sort of comes out of us as we go about our lives, if we don't embrace the reality of how the scriptures say we actually change if we keep looking to these losing strategies to change us, we will never actually change to be missional people. So if mission is something we just learn about or read about or think about or contemplate or study, we will never actually join the mission of God. If we just try to grit our teeth and gut it out and just kind of do it, we'll never live a long-term life of joining the mission of God. If we just point fingers and rely on other people close to us being missional and we'll pray for their relationships so as to appease our conscience, we'll never join the mission of God. If we just sit around waiting for the Holy Spirit to change us and zap us with magical evangelism powers, we will never join the mission of God. And so here's the invitation for our community over the next six weeks. Will you lean in to this practice? Will you lean in? We have done our best to design our series and this guide around our belief in how the scriptures actually change us. We've designed it around truth. There's going to be time where we're going to teach from God's word, look at God's word together, explore what God's word says. We've designed it around the practice or the, the way we change of practice. There's a practice every week for you to take home and do with the Lord to step you further into the mission of God. We've got a community group discussion for you to walk this out in community and talk about it and encourage one another into living on mission, and then all of that, we're going to seek the Lord desperately, but the Holy Spirit would use it to form us to be a missional people. So the invitation is, will you lean in with us? And if you do, if you're willing to lean in, walk this road, by the end of the six weeks, I guarantee, I promise, you probably won't be the type of person who easily shares the gospel. I know, that's like rah-rah, Right? we change way more slowly than that. But here's what I can guarantee. If you lean in by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be six weeks closer. Let me end with this illustration. I've been thinking about it a lot um, over the past few weeks. Harper, our soon-to-be four-year-old just started gymnastics a few weeks ago, which it is fantastic for an almost four-year-old with energy to just put them in a gymnastics gym for 45 minutes and we're literally not allowed to enter. We can just watch them through a TV screen and just let them run around. It's wonderful. She sleeps so great on Monday nights. Now, here's the deal. She started taking gymnastics, started doing it. Imagine I went up to Harper and I said, all right, Harper, do a double back handspring. Everybody know what that is? It's where you go backwards twice with your hands. Yeah, it's a double back handspring. I looked it up. Now, imagine I said, Harper, do a double-back handspring. Can she do it? No, thank you, right? She's almost four, right? Now, what if I said, hey, here's a book on it. Just, like, just read this book about all how to do a double-back handspring. Just read it, study it, think about it. Can she do it now? No. If I said, hey, babe, just try. Like, you got to really want it. Like, just, I mean, grit your teeth, and if you want it bad enough, then you can do a double-back handspring. Can she? No. Now, what if I said, hey, here's a community of people that are gymnasts and they can all do double back handsprings, just hang out with them for a little bit and watch them do it, then you'll be able to do it. Is that true? Then can she? No. Now, if I said, come here, baby, let's call the pastors of the church, let's anoint you with oil, lay hands and pray over you, then can she do a double back handspring? Yes, Yes, thank you. (laughs) Probably not, maybe once, maybe once. But here's what she can do. Every Monday at 1.30 p.m., we can take her to the Harris YMCA, and she can go into gymnastics, and she can learn a skill. She can try a little bit more. She can do a little bit more. She can do a little bit more. And she can learn from her teachers, She can be around a group of gymnasts who are also trying to learn double back handsprings. She can really put herself into practice and effort and trying, and over time, years and years of training and practice and effort and learning in the context of a community with definitely some prayer involved, she could become the type of person who can do a double back handspring. And so the question is not, can Harper do a double back handspring? The issue is that she just can't do it yet. And so maybe you're here and you're like, there's no way I can participate in the mission of God. Like, I'm not a natural people person. I'm not an extrovert. I don't know enough of the scriptures. I just, I can't. I can't join God's mission. Let me just help and encourage you as we close. Maybe it's not that you can't join God's mission. It might just be that you can't join God's mission yet. So the invitation is to lean in to learn what God's Word says, to put it into practice in the context of a community trying to follow Jesus together, desperately seeking the empowerment of the Holy Spirit such that we can actually be changed over the long haul. So we're going to start this week with our first practice being a habit audit. We change through truth and practice in community, but all of us are not starting at net neutral. All of us are already being formed by the stories we believe, the habits we already have, the relationships we already live into, in the words of one pastor, spiritual formation is not a Christian thing, it's a human thing. And all of us are already being formed by this triangle in a bunch of unchrist like ways. Robert, Mul- Robert Mulholland, who's a writer on spiritual formation, says it this way. He says, everyone is in the process of spiritual formation. We're being shaped into either the wholeness of the image of Christ or a horribly destructive caricature of that image. And so our practice this week that we're going to take time to do together and then discuss in our community groups is the practice of sort of an audit of our lives. What are the stories and truth that I'm believing that are not shaping me into the image of Jesus? What are the habits that I have, the relationships that I'm living into, and what about those might need to change in order for me to step into the mission of God? I'm excited for what the Spirit's going to do over the next six weeks. I hope you are too. We lean into this slowly. You're going to be really frustrated by how slowly we're going to go, but we're going to ask the Spirit to be with us and to move to make us a people of the mission of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we're grateful for your word. Lord, thank you for Luke chapter 6. Thank you for 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Lord, thank you that you have not just come to give us life in the future, life forever, but life now. You're interested in forming us now, sanctifying us now, changing us maturing us, growing us now, Lord. And so I I pray we would heed your word, we would believe your word, Lord, that we would be protected, Lord, against these false strategies of change, Lord, but we would believe that we are called to be a people who receive your word, put it into practice in the context of community, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that you would do what you promised to do, as we behold the glory of you, that you would form us more into the image of your Son. So Lord, be with us over the course of the next six weeks, but by your spirit, but by your power, but by your grace, we don't want any of this, Lord. And so I pray that you would mold our hearts towards a desire to be your people, to follow you over the long haul of our lives, transform us more and more over the days and weeks ahead into the image of Christ. We love you, we need you. Pray these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said,